So um, I was looking at some, uh, doing some, a bit of a dive into your your history and your journey. Mm -hmm. And I saw that you joined MSC Cru uh, Cruises in 2015 as the Correct, CFO. Yeah. Yep. And then about a year later, you became the MD. I did, yes. Okay. Rather fortuitously. <laughs> Or, or, or maybe not, because finance is a lot easier than being the MD. <laughs> I hear you. So how did your 12 years at KPMG benefit your transition to MSC? It's a, start off with a difficult question. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of rhetoric out there about whether accountants make good commercial directors and CEOs and the like. And I think that... A strong financial background is always very, very good uh, in a leadership position because you have some awareness around the, the sort of financial aspects of, of how it works. And, and people can't really uh, BS you about uh, about the sort of financial aspects. So you're always able to to have an awareness of where, where the money is. And, and that's how things are driven. Um, I think I wasn't a traditional accountant in that I didn't spend all my time in, in, uh, in audit-specific roles. I uh, traveled the world uh, presenting courses, doing risk and compliance work. So I had a lot more interaction with people um, in terms of uh, diverse people um, rather than simply looking at the numbers um, mm. over, the, over those 12 years. And I think that was a valuable skill when mm. it came to interacting with people in relationship development because that traveling teaches you that, uh, particularly if you travel with colleagues and you travel with people to, to diverse locations, you know, Nigeria and uh, and uh, Vietnam and, and places like that that are so culturally different to where you're used to, you have to rely on them and you have to talk to them about what, what makes them tick. And I think that's an important part of being in a leadership role is understanding our clients, understanding our suppliers, understanding the relationships we have. And, th and that's something that was very valuable in, in the transition. So I think the, the foundation was good from a finance perspective, but there was also the ability to to engage with people on a relationship level that you understood a bit more than simply just the pure mathematics and, and, and money aspects of the business. And traveling the globe didn't hurt. No, uh, I'm very <laughs> blessed. I visited over about 90 countries in my last Oh, month. you lucky fish. No. <laughs> that's wonderful. And did you, so that's a, a, a great combination. So, I mean, did, do you enjoy traveling, you know? Um, yes, it it, uh, it it loses its luster after a while, I think, because, uh, you know, someone will say to you, oh, you're so lucky, you're going to be in the Cayman Islands. And you say, well, I'm there, hotel or airport, hotel, office, uh, hotel, and the wow. like. I may have half a day or, or a day to go and sort of see where I'm going and then I'm transitioning on to my next location. Yeah. But I think as I, as I become more experienced in life, um, with more gray hair on the side of my head and maybe uh, maybe the top of my head. Um, I think that, that travel is is beautiful and I think the experiences you have are amazing and I think everyone should experience it. it it's it is a young person's game and uh, you know as you as you progress things you know you it becomes more taxing on your body and I think also from a family perspective you didn't see friends, you didn't see family, you didn't see everything. So as you transition into that next phase of your life, you need to also look at the priorities in terms of your health and, and looking at what it does to your to your body. But mm -hmm. I, I still think that traveling is good. I still like traveling. I still enjoy mm -hmm. going to see places, but I'm a little bit more circumspect in, uh, mm -hmm. in uh, what I what I agree to do 
and how I managed to do it. And there have been a couple of times in the last couple of years where I've said to myself, sure, you know, this back-to-back -back, uh, week here, two days um, here, let me drive here and fix this. Uh, and I thought to myself, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> yes, I mean, you don't want to be in transit. You actually want to be in a place and enjoy the people, enjoy the environment. And that takes a bit of time. You can't hmm. be rushing like from one airport to another. Otherwise, you may as well just be kind of, you know, staying in South Africa and rushing from one airport to another. Yeah. And as I said, travel is beautiful. It's amazing. Hmm. And I'd recommend anyone who has the opportunity to jump at it. Uh, and, and not only to go to the wonderful places, you learn just as yeah. much from going to, to places that are a little bit more difficult and challenging mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, so we all can't go to Paris or to New York or to Rome or to the, the bucket list cities that people want to go. Some of us have got to go to, uh, you know, uh, Timbuktu and, mm -hmm. uh, and be, be in, a, in a one bedroom uh, place with no running water. Mm -hmm. um, but you learn a lot about yourself in those places. And I think that's yeah. a valuable insight. And, and that's why I say I encourage everyone to do it because I think it's a valuable, a valuable skill. Absolutely. So in your tenure at MSC Cruises, have you had a particular aha moment or have there been a number? I think given the fact that we work with so many diverse people, you know, 170,000 guests a year on average, wow. you, you, you get to see the best, the worst, and the, the most indifferent parts of society. Yeah. And I think there's always an aha moment every day. Um, you know, sometimes you're laughing because you think, I just don't think this was possible. And yeah. if you wrote a book about it, no one would believe you to, to wonderful experiences you have. So I, I, there's not one day, I think, that I've not gone through a situation where I've learned something different and I've learned to, to work uh, and, and learned about myself as well. So um uh, there, there's been so many aha moments it's been uh, it's, it's beyond count i think um you know the, the fundamentals yes i don't think those change but you learn more every day as you interact with people and certainly since COVID as well i think the world has changed irrevocably um in in the way in which people interpret things how things see people see things um and it's not always uh, the way that uh, it used to be mm, definitely so just picking up on what uh, you said, how did COVID impact your business? I mean, you know, there, there were these horror stories going around of, uh, you know, ships not being able to offload their passengers because people on board had contracted COVID, you know, so they weren't able, weren't able to get off the ship. So I did... What were some of your experiences? It must have been quite a tough time, in particularly in your business with the lockdown. Yeah, I think it's probably a very interesting case study for probably an MBA uh, course to have a look at what people thought about uh, those in leadership positions during COVID because there's nothing that could have been achieved or, or, or studied to fix the problem. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's no textbook that could have told you do this, do that, do this and manage it here. Mm. So for us, it was devastating because obviously mm. we, we all ground to a halt. Um, I think we were rather fortunate in South Africa that we didn't have the same uh, constraints related to COVID conditions and, and we were able to negotiate quite uh, well um, above board with all, with all the authorities to do things practically. And, and I have to be very 
positive about the South African government in that space is that they were very collaborative in trying to solve some of the problems. It was uh, it was a can-do attitude in that space. I think probably the most interesting aspect of that was the dynamic of repatriating crew to South Africa and from South Africa to various mm. locations because legislation changed every day. Uh, you had to be on your toes um, and you had to 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 really think on your feet and, and provide uh, last minute solutions to a lot of last minute problems that arose. And I think one of the other things that was also very important during COVID was the, the forming of a social construct with your, with your staff. Mm. Um, you know, we were very lucky in that we, we did have some support. We, we didn't retrench staff during COVID, which was great. We obviously did take a haircut on, uh, on salaries, which a lot of people did. But uh, it was then the social construct of, you know, me being transparent with them about what's going to happen, talking to them, and also explaining that I'm taking a bigger portion of the of the haircut than they are, because I'm not necessarily at the breadline. Um, and that I think is was very important in the navigation of COVID from a South African perspective of MSC is that we we really bonded together as a unit and provided support to each other through the process um, and that allowed us to to be nimble and maneuver financially to be a little bit more flexible uh, there was a lot of bad publicity around refunds but i think a lot of tourism uh, businesses found the same uh, we we refunded everyone that requested um, which i also think was no mean feat um, and we were, we were able to to do it yes it was in long periods so some people did wait a long time and, and they'd probably argue that uh, they waited longer than their fair share and, you know, I, I probably agree with them and say, listen, I'm sorry that that's happened, but we did in the end refund everyone that requested. So, um, you know, the social construct from an employee perspective was very vital in navigating through COVID. And so did, you know, I was thinking of lockdown and, you know, it just feels like a hideous movie, dystopian movie, those couple of years. So did your... I mean, you're running cruises. Did they actually all just ground to a halt? Yeah. Well, oh, worldwide, we, worldwide, we put uh, the time, I think it was 19 ships into what's termed layup. So uh, they go, you can't just switch it off like a house where you just switch oh. the mains off. You have to keep people on board as a minimum safe manning. So it was a very creative and interesting time because you had to move people, relieve people, some countries were closed. Some people didn't want. Some countries didn't want to know about repatriating their own uh, people, um, and and vice versa. So, it was a very interesting time. Mm. Yeah, that's very hectic. Just as a little side note, I thought it was a bit ironic during the whole pandemic. There was a ship birthed at Cape Town Harbour, and it was called Corona, which I thought yes. was a, <laughs> a bit ironic. <laughs> So uh, can you just unpack a bit about how growing, growing the cruise market, is it a, a difficult thing? I mean, do you do it by thinking of new packages, new destinations? How do you actually grow that market if you have a finite number of ports that you can call? Into. So you, you've hit the nail on the head in, in Southern Africa, one of the biggest constraints to, to the cruising market in particular, but, but generally is infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So there's only a, a very few number of ports that you can call at in Southern Africa that are able to cater for the large size of the vessel. We mm -hmm. mitigate that by building and, and renovating our own island destinations um, in Mozambique. Um, 
So, you know, we, we, we kind of take the bull by the horns by investing in places to, to grow that uh, endemically through, through alternative destinations. Um, and then kind of rotating vessels through uh, on a different rotational basis. So next year we're bringing MSC Splendida, which will be the, the newest and, and most luxurious cruise vessel we've brought to South Africa ever. Um, and it'll, it'll be an increase in capacity. So you're also doing that through, through the different size of vessels. Um, so, but it is a challenge, particularly in South Africa, because you know you have a finite number of alternatives from a destination perspective. You know, on the west coast, you've really got mainly Luderitz and, mm. and Volfus. Um, Luderitz is is very very small. It doesn't really cater for for the infrastructure of landing a big vessel of four thousand passengers. And on the east coast, you've got Durban, Richards Bay, which is equally not uh, uh, viable because uh, of the coal. Um, and then you've got Maputo, Portuguese Island, Pemeni, which are the destinations I was talking about in terms of our construction. Um, but, you know, we, we, you know, consult with governments. I had a chat this morning with Westgrow. We're looking at trying to see if we can increase the infrastructure capacity in various places uh, and, and grow the cruise industry from, from, that, uh, from that side. Uh, but I think it's going to be a challenge in the next five years from an infrastructure because yeah. it doesn't happen overnight. You don't just get a new port. You don't just get a new destination. You don't just get, uh, you know, plant a, plant a, an island and you get one uh, coming yeah. out in five years. It would be lovely if we did, but it doesn't happen yeah. that way. So, you know, I think in the, in the short to medium term, it's, it's different size vessels, um, experimenting with two vessels coming to South Africa, um, and then looking at, at how you can you can – bespoke uh, integrate that with the with the, the current travel opportunities that people have within the country and looking at markets that you previously hadn't looked at you know so if people had a stigma about cruising that was only old rich people that were able to go then change that dynamic and look at it in terms of it's a family orientated affair and it's for everybody and do you partner with other cruise companies i'm thinking of like distant destinations like the Antarctic. I mean, so the Antarctic requires special special vessels because you need uh, reinforced hulls. You need uh, certain stabilizer requirements. Um, so a normal ocean-going cruise liner or that sort really isn't designed for that kind of heavy seas. Mm. Um, we did, obviously, last year go to Marion Island in the uh, end of January, beginning of February. We took a uh, bird life conservation uh, group oh, down to Marion Island with about uh, 1,700 people on board. Um, and they did a circumnavigation of Marion Island, Prince Edward Island. That's the furthest south that I'm aware of a cruise vessel going. I know that our world cruise this year is going to navigate the Magellan Straits, which is in the southern Cape Horn down the mm -hmm. Patagonia, Argentina, and Chile, um, which is also quite far south. Um, but uh, to go to Antarctica, you need a lot more sort of rugged um, material and certain times of the year and that kind of stuff. So we don't generally do that, and, and we wouldn't necessarily partner with cruise vessels because they have their own niche product market mm -hmm. that they call it. Ours is more the contemporary side of things that uh, focuses on, you know, the enjoyment of a party element uh, okay. rather than an expedition element to, to Antarctica. Okay. That's great. And those things that you mentioned are really exciting. How do you market them? Do you... With regards to, like, bird life? Well, the bird life, yes, and then the, the cruise going on the Magellan Straits and those kind of things. 
Um, do people have to like log onto your website, or are you able to broadcast to the public in general who might not know about those things? So it would be an omni-channel kind of approach. So you put it on the website, you notify them of the World Cruise. You know, the World Cruise is a unique example. It's it's a hundred between one hundred and thirteen to one hundred and twenty-five days of on board, calling at fifty-two different ports, and uh, in some cases, uh, and it varied over the last couple of years in terms of how we've done it. So, you know, that's that's not necessarily open to everybody because, you know, not everyone's got 120 days that they can afford to be off work, nor, nor the, the sort of money that goes along with doing yeah. it, although it's relatively value for money. If you took a look at what your your living costs would have been during mm. those 120 days, you know, it, it's it's comparable. So um, that would probably be a niche kind of play with travel agents, the type of market that you've got, and the marketing would go to those people specific. For the bird life, obviously, we notified all of the people at the bird life conservation. They were heavily involved in organizing it, and we did it mainly for to support the fundraising element for them. Um, and so then it would go to their target audience. But generally, we have a very strong marketing platform and strategy to marketing cruises uh, mm -hmm. through trade partners, uh, through brand awareness, uh, the website, through special offers. Um, and it's really an omni-channel process that goes uh, to uh, to, to communicate with guests. Okay, that's wonderful. So just looking at um, you, <laughs> what would you say is your why? What, did, what excites you about what you do? I asked somebody, I, I had to rephrase that question because I asked somebody, what gets you up in the morning? <laughs> and they said to me, a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not really I was going for. So. What's, what excites you about what you do? I think the challenge for me is an important part of it. I've always been someone, and I, I always tell tongue-in-cheek comment that, you know, when I was five years old at school, the teacher said, there are two roads that the world that you can walk in this world, one that everyone else travels and one that no one else travels and you have to cut yourself. And I keep reprimanding my five-year-old self for picking the wrong one because it <laughs> seems like every path I've taken in my whole life has been the one that no one else goes on. <laughs> And I have to pioneer my way through. So, you know, I kind of ask myself in reflections and say, could I have done this in an easier fashion? And, and uh, you know, it, it often comes back to yes. But I think I've always been a person that's liked to have achieved difficult situations through university, through school, through articles, through whatever. I've always wanted to be the person that's taken on difficult challenges. Sometimes, as I said, I look back and think, geez, like you could have saved yourself uh, 10, 10 years of your life if you'd just done it differently. But um, I, I think challenge is an important part for me. If I don't feel challenged in a the job, then I'm really not giving my best. And, and that's something that I get up and, and why I do what I do every day is that I like the challenge. It's a, it's a tough job. It's a demanding job. A lot of difficult decisions that have got to be made. And, and that's something that I, I'm I like to be in that in the thick of things in that space, and and it, it gives me a sense of pride to have achieved it at the end of the day. So, that for me would be the driver behind it. Uh, I don't drink coffee, so it would be difficult for me to say it gets me up in the morning. <laughs> Maybe my alarm clock would be the first uh, the first thing that wakes me up. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Um, and just in terms of you've been MD since end of twenty sixteen, so seven years. How, how would you describe your leadership style? Sure. Um, 
I'm very pragmatic and practical and hands-on. Um, you know, I, I try not to be micromanaging, um, but I think I'm also very, very hands-on. I, I don't like to delegate things I've never done before. So I used the example on another interview a while ago. You know, we had a problem with the toilets at the at the uh, office, and uh, there I was, you know, cleaning the toilets and making sure things worked and answering telephones, simply because I also never want to be in a position where someone says to me, oh, but you've never done that. So very practical, very hands-on. I am a very difficult person. I'm very hard. I expect things to be done properly, um, and I get frustrated when they're not. Uh, I'm learning as I get older to temper that with an understanding of where people are coming from and that they don't all think the same way as me. Uh, but I really strive for excellence in things that I do, and I like to make sure that the team also has that kind of goal associated with it. But I think on the positive side, you know, you'll never get me not doing something because I believe it's beneath my station. If it's got to be done, it's got to be done. So mm. if I've got to pick up the phone and phone someone, or I've got to go and uh, stand at the port and direct people and move baggage around, sweep floors so that I can get the rainwater out of a tent, I'm going to go and do it. Um, and, and that's very hands-on. But uh, And sometimes that obviously, as I said, comes across as micromanaging, but I try to, to limit that um, and, and give people the freedom to do it. But coupled with the fact that I am quite a, a difficult and, and hard character in terms of what I expect. I was going to ask you if you run a tight ship, but then I thought that might be a bit cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> we try. I think with, with all the moving parts in MSC, there are things that, you know, slip through the cracks. As I said, we're not a perfect organization. I'm not a perfect individual. Uh, and, and things do go wrong. And uh, we do try and then rectify them. Uh, we try and run as tight a ship as possible. But sometimes things become uh, too too difficult well, through through the best efforts. You can't make it uh, different. Oh, that's life. <laughs> yeah. In your opinion, do you think 2023 has brought with it a new sense of optimism? I, I don't think so. I think that there's a lot of challenges at the moment within a South African space. And, and speaking strictly about South Africa, I think um, the, the, the micro and macroeconomic factors of South Africa are placing a severe burden on people. Now, that's not to say that South Africans aren't resilient. I think we're probably one of the most resilient people in the world. But we also kick ourselves and, and score our own goals. Um, and we, we don't think about, you know, what we do and say, and sometimes it then comes out and it, it winds up hurting us. I think from a cruise-specific perspective, we're seeing very, hot, very soft prices at the moment, difficult sell, uh, every rand that someone has to weigh up, whether they pay electricity or interest rate or petrol price or whatever, is is getting them down. Um, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about ESCOM, a lot of uncertainty about uh, the political stability in the country, and I think that's creating some kind of anxiety amongst people. We will get through it. I think we're in for, for a tough period of uh, between 6 and 12 months, and I think 2024 may provide some more solid foundation for us to progress through in growing the economy. So I'm quietly optimistic, but I don't think it's brought a renewed sense of positivity about it because I think there's still some deep concerning issues that we need to address. Inequality uh, in the country, um, the way we are addressing inequality for me are, are, are quite challenging uh, positions because we need to uplift the society. We need to get to a point where people aren't deciding, well, if, do I have to eat today or can I eat today? 
you know, they've got the ability to do it just as a, as a matter of uh, principle. So, um, you know, and, and then going to the wider macro worldview, you know, there's a lot of tension at the moment in, in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, saber rattling between the US and China. Uh, China's economy is only just starting to open up after a very long COVID hiatus. Uh, those have all had severe impacts on the global economy. And I think we're waiting to see where this, this conflict and, and the saber rattling between the, 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 the superpowers is going to wind up. And I think we're all hoping and praying it's not going to end in, a, in another sort of conflict that, that's going to spark. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, coupled with that, which is another interesting question we need to start looking at is the sustainability and environmental considerations. You're seeing a lot more environmental challenges in, in the world, more earthquakes, more hurricanes, more cyclones, more floods in Joburg and, and KZN that we've never anticipated previously. So those, I think, are also strategic risks that uh, we need to factor into the consideration of how we're going to navigate that and ensure that we have a sustainable future beyond 2030, 2035, mm. 2040, 2050, or whatever the, the doomsday people say is the is the cutoff. Mm. Um, but I think those are those are more more or, or increasingly more important questions that need to be factored into the equation of what the economic outlook looks like. Because can we afford to be going down the same road from an economic perspective, if in reality in ten years' time we're not going to be sustainable? Mm. Speaking of sustainability, how do you ensure that the ESG principles are embedded in um, MSC cruises, like the environment, social, and governance from a sustainability point of view? So we are heavily geared towards that. I mean, we've come on record globally. Our global chairman is saying that we want to be the first cruise company to reach a net carbon zero. Um, and we're pushing very hard towards getting that. So we launched our first LNG ship in uh, November last year in Qatar and uh, basically the view is that for the rest of our deployments of our new vessels they'll all be LNG and we're looking at hydrogen fuel cells and all other special technology coming out of uh, some creative places in the world. Um, we, we're phasing out the, the use of single-use plastics um, to ensure that we've got an environmentally sustainable product um, and then, you know, also looking at what impact we have on the communities that we serve as well in terms of, you know, again, coming out last year with the floods, we supported the KZN uh, gift to the givers with a million rand, split 500,000 with food, 500,000 with construction materials for uh, constructing temporary residencies and the like. We do a lot of CSI projects in, uh, in Portuguese Island and Pemeni. Um, and, you know, we're also trying to establish a, a very strong academy where we can push people through. Uh, particularly from previously disadvantaged, but it's open to everybody to go on board the ship and work on our cruise vessels. So we have a multi-pronged approach in terms of that. And then, uh, you know, overhauling the, the governance space in terms of making sure that we're complying with all the rules and regulations and making sure that we, we don't fall foul of any, any regulatory concerns that people might have. Um, as I said, no one's perfect. We're still getting there. And I suppose there's a lot of improvement that we can all improve but we are pushing very hard the sustainability and ESG agenda um, towards making sure that we, we are being responsible. And the, the Aponte families opened up the MSC Foundation, which dedicates quite a large amount of money towards the rehabilitation of uh, the ocean environment. Mm. So we had an Elbe, we had an Elbe River project uh, that was concluded uh, late last year or, or just before COVID whereby there was a very rare plant that uh, was going extinct in the Elbe River estuary with all of the, 
ships coming in, both cargo and cruisers, and we wound up creating a sanctuary for this plant to grow and bring back some of the, the, the uh, plant life and uh, animal life in this area. And there's, there's lots of other examples of what we do. So they, they, they send quite a lot of money to this foundation to be able to do projects like that. Ocean Key, our island that we bought was, was or built, was uh, there is actually a, a, a documentary on it called Building Paradise Island, but it was a, a waste dump in the ocean and we cleaned it up and we've now reintroduced coral uh, reef and it's now been uh, put as a reserve. Uh, so it's uh, sort of 450 hectares of, of marine reserve dedicated towards rehabilitating the coral of the area for, for the future. So, you know, we're involved in a lot of projects. We do a lot of things and we spend a lot of money on it. Uh, you know, as, as everything, we could do better. We are moving forward, but we, we, really, we, we are really heavily committed towards the sustainability of the oceans in the future. That's fantastic to know. Whereabouts is, uh, did you say it's Paradise Island, the one that you built? It's, it's called Ocean Key. Um, Ocean Key. Uh, Ocean and then uh, um, C-A-Y. Uh, it's pronounced Key. Yes. Um, and, but it, the documentary, if my memory serves me correctly, is called Building Paradise Island. Okay. And whereabouts in which ocean is it situated? It's uh, in the North Atlantic. It's just off the coast of the Bahamas. So it's about, oh. um, it's just outside U.S. Ter territorial waters in uh, Bahamian territorial waters. Oh, wow. I'm going to watch that video. That yeah. sounds amazing. Thank you for that. Um, I've seen those horrific um, maps of the gyres of plastic that swirl in the ocean currents, which is just... One of them, I think, is bigger than Texas. The yeah, the Pacific Ocean, yeah. Yeah, terrible. Anyway, that's really good to know. Um, I'm definitely going to watch that video. Um, so how do you relax? I mean, you run a, cru <laughs> a cruise company. How do you relax? Do you go on a cruise? <laughs> uh, no, if I, if I go on a cruise, I'm troubleshooting the problems. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the thick of things, uh, helping yeah. clients and things like that. So. Yeah. Uh, I generally try to. Uh, I have a passion for for photography and uh, and the bush. Um, oh. Coming from Zim, I, I have a big passion for animals and, uh, um, and not 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 hunting, but for for taking okay. pictures. And uh, I spend quite a lot of time in the Kruger National Park and uh, and surrounding areas to to try and relax uh, when I can. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not very often. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, then whenever I can try and take some downtime just to spend with family and friends uh, when I can, um, which is which is not very often, unfortunately, mm. given that the cruise business runs 24 hours a day, seven yes, days a week. Exactly. There's always someone doing something. <laughs> and whereabouts in Zimbabwe did you grow up? I was born in Harare and I grew up there for a short portion of my, my childhood and then I finished it in here in South Africa. Um, okay. I finished my schooling. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. No wonder you have the savannah in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what exciting plans do you have for the coming year? Are there you know, must be things that you've got up your sleeve that you're looking forward to doing, both personally and in terms of professionally, your company responsibilities so the professional side is very easy um we've obviously got MSC Splendida coming to south africa yes. which is the first time we're bringing this kind of luxurious vessel it's got a ship mm -hmm. within a ship concept so what that means is it has 1600 cabins on board but it's got 71 dedicated to uh luxury so it's 71 mm -hmm. cabins secluded in a private area of the vessel 
You only access it if you are one of the, the 150 people that uh, has booked. Um, it gives you access to Butler service, which is 24 hours a day. You've got your own private dining area, your own private lounge, uh, and it's got a private pool for you to go to. So you can enjoy the luxury of a small vessel, but at the price of a bigger vessel. Um, so, you know, the, the likes of the ultra luxury vessels out there, you know, you're looking at a very, very high end rate that's being charged. This yacht club allows you the amenities of that uh, ultra luxury, luxurious vessel, but at a price uh, and the amenities of a big ship. So you can go to all the amenities on a bigger ship and still have the privacy that you've got. So that's what we're really excited about, because I think it's going to add a different dynamic to cruising within South Africa that allows the, the, the discerning South African the ability to book something in a luxurious uh, private place so they don't have to be part of of uh, you know a large volume of people on board mm. although that can be fun when you're partying and celebrating on the deck yeah um you know in terms of you know within the organization i think it's it's continuing to refine the processes to become more efficient and to offer better guest satisfaction i think after covid i think we struggled uh, as the tourism sector in general struggled with customer service. And I think that's something I'd really like to boost in 2023 to drive the, the sort of customer experience and ensure that our customers are getting the best value for, for their money. From a personal perspective, uh, I haven't really thought about it much because uh, the cruise season is still in full swing. I've got two ships running, one out of Cape Town, one out of uh, Durban. And uh, the powers that be upstairs are, are creating problems for me with the wind in Cape Town. So I have a problem every week with the wind. So I haven't, had a, I haven't had a chance really to start thinking about my personal goals. Um, I think uh, it's it's to to exercise a little bit more, not go not go grey, um, <laughs> and uh, to to not look like I'm 65 when only I'm 30. Uh, for, I thought you were 65. <laughs> no, I appreciate the I appreciate the flattery, Fiona, but uh, you know, I, I, I look and feel a lot older than that. So you know, I don't I don't want to walk into into the shops and someone says hello, worm. <laughs> or 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 sub or Kulu. I prefer just to be addressed as, uh, as Ross. So maybe on your list to do list for you is more time in the Kruger. Potentially, yeah. With your with your camera. Okay, so that's lovely. I just the last couple of things that um, interested me to hear from you is do you do you listen to podcasts i mean i've really enjoyed speaking to you i don't know if it's a, a genre that you personally are interested in i listen to some of them that are uh, that that have relevance uh, mm -hmm. i must admit i'm probably a, a social media neanderthal i uh, i'm very scared of it and and i'm i'm concerned about how it it dominates some of our lives yeah um so so i tend to to absorb information through through mainstream media and through mainstream channels that's not to say that uh, i haven't watched a fair share of ted talks and listened to a couple of people's podcasts that have very interesting mm. views uh someone like bruce whitfield is someone that i really uh, really respect in south africa in terms of his balanced views um and i listen to a lot of a lot of his kind of uh, podcasts but uh, I, i'm a little selective and sparing in terms mm. of the conversations i have or, or what I what I choose to 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 consume, um, because I think maybe a bit of an un, uninitiation or uh, um, how it how it works and and that kind of stuff. But I, I do, but not to the level that I think mm. other people of my generation probably spend time on, um, which you know is my own personal choice. But uh, it, it it is what it is. But uh, no, I, I will I will this occasionally. 
And do you read? Do you enjoy reading? I do. Yeah, I spend a lot of time reading a lot of books. Um, I've quite a diverse reading kind of uh, genre. Um, I like to non-fiction, fiction. I mm. uh, spend a lot of uh, time listening to John Maxwell, uh, Malcolm Gladwell kind of thing, uh, um, and and looking at, at sort of leadership uh, books to, to try and improve. Um, and then uh, try to relax. I'll obviously, I'll uh, uh, you know have a, a non-fiction or a fiction book that uh, can be mind-numbing, and I can just try and switch off. And do you prefer the hard copy, or do you have a Kindle? No, I prefer that. Uh, I like to feel Me it. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can ever replace that. So, just as a last question, because I've really enjoyed our conversation, but time is ticking. If you We've still got ten minutes, so yeah. uh, we can go up to three. I've I've booked out to three o'clock, so all right, that's um, yeah, great. If you need to. That's lovely. So I just wanted to find out from you if you could invite five people to dinner, past or present, so you could have your choice of whoever. Who sure. would you choose, and then what would you have for dessert? <laughs> Well, the dessert is easy. I like Malva pudding, and I'm quite a fussy eater. So uh, <laughs> I'll go with the, I'll go with the traditional South African Malva pudding, and probably yeah. the whole meal would be very traditional in the in okay. South African space because I think uh, we've got some great food, and I'd want to look at the heritage and and support our heritage. And mm -hmm. um, I think there's so many people that you could uh, you could invite, and and uh, I think. For different reasons, I'd like to invite different people, for, mm. for good and for bad reasons. I think mm. it would be important to understand some of the mistakes that have been made in life. So I'd probably look uh, from, a, from a leadership perspective for someone like Winston Churchill and, uh, and Nelson Mandela, because I'd mm. like to understand you know, how Nelson Mandela managed to, to bring a nation together and, and mm -hmm. to, to put aside some of the personal, clearly some of the personal feelings he had towards different people mm -hmm. that had wronged him but he looked forward to to the way in which the world needed to be um winston churchill i think because he he, he was pioneering something during a very difficult time um and i think his oration was incredibly incredibly good um i think to listen to to someone like uh madame curie you mm. know looking at uh, at uh, discovering radium you know, her evolution within the science field and pioneering uh, being a woman in science when it was a traditionally uh, male-dominated environment. How mm -hmm. would she have, how did she do that? What did she find the the uh, the, uh, the space? What would it look like? Um, and then probably sort of in more more ancient times, someone like Julius uh, Caesar. Uh, you're all thinking I'd say Julius Malema, but uh, Julius Caesar. Um <laughs> <laughs> Again, because I think you know it's important to understand from from his perspective, you know, running an empire. What does it mean? Mm. How does it? How does that work? Um, and then Warren Buffett, I think, mm. from uh, from a perspective of, you know, what it is his values in his life. What does he think uh, is uh, the value system and the value chain? Mm. Um, and then I think rounding it off, um, because I'm I'm very interested in understanding different people's uh, beliefs and and how they interact with our own. I'd probably look at someone like the Dalai Lama or, oh, or, or the Pope, yeah. mm. um, simply because I think they'd be able to offer such a, a broad spectrum of knowledge from mm. uh, from, a, from an ethereal perspective that that could change your your insight. So I think that would be something for me that would be really interesting to hear and listen to, and and weigh it up and see how it balances with what uh, what you've got in in the modern world. 
Um, yeah. So I think those are those are the five people, and uh, for various different reasons, you know, it would be interesting to see how how they all played out. But uh, um, the the meal would definitely be proudly South African. So we would have a lot of meat, uh, pup sauce, um, and and Malva pudding for dessert. I think that sounds like a wonderful evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really thank really enjoyed our conversation, and thank you for your time. And as I said, I'm sorry we're a couple of minutes late joining you, no, but um, yeah, I really do appreciate it. And thank you. No, it's a great privilege and pleasure to be on this. And thanks to you guys for allowing me the opportunity. Um, it is really, really great to be uh, on a platform like this talking to, to such learned individuals. So thank you very much for the opportunity and to your listeners. You know, I hope that you uh, enjoyed the conversation and uh, I look forward to many more. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can assure you so will our listeners. Thank you, Ross. Pleasure. Take care and have a wonderful 2023. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.